0: Hey, happy Friday, everyone. Today is August 5th, and this is episode 22 of our Google Hangouts and podcasts and all things Doxus. I'm Brady Volpe, founder of the Volpe firm and Nimble This. Today, again with us, we have the diviner of Doxus, the one and only John Downey, CMTS technical leader at Cisco Systems. John? Great to have you back with us today. Oh,
1: great to be back. Sorry, running late. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Layer one problem.
0: Yeah, other problems. All right. So um, we have got a great show today. We're going to be talking about the top reasons cable modems are not getting the expected speeds and CMTS's. Uh, but first, John, um, you know, I know you're traveling recently, and uh, we also had an Angacom trip that we were at. Uh, how, you know, how was uh, how was your Angacom trip, John?
1: Um, you know, it was in Cologne, Germany. And it was good. Uh, any <laughs> uh, traveling? It started experience? out. Uh, <laughs> let's let's start off with. I could probably write a book now on how to survive in Germany without any money or credit cards whatsoever.
0: It <laughs> did a pretty good job at yeah, that. <laughs> friend, <right? laughs> yeah, friends are good. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> you are also you had Cisco Live. You were at just recently, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Cisco Live was in uh, Las Vegas, um, and uh, we had upwards of twenty-eight thousand people in attendance at Cisco Live, so it was uh, pretty impressive.
0: Uh, no, a lot of now. good stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's it's not your typical cable type of show, right? It's it's Cisco routing, switching, security, everything you can think of. Um, and cable is a small part of it, but we had two or three sessions on the CBR-8, DOCSIS 3-1, troubleshooting, CMTSs. So it was it was good, a good turnout.
0: Yeah, excellent, excellent. So uh, yesterday I was presenting at the SCTE North Country Chapter in Minnesota on uh, Doxis 3-1 and in- PNM, of course. Uh, I want to give a shout out to those guys, especially Mark Daniels and David Haig for uh, inviting me and and just being excellent hosts while I was there. Uh, I did want to share just one slide that uh, I, I presented when I was uh, giving my presentation, and it's this slide here. Uh, so those for those of you that are watching uh, or just listening to the podcast later on after the live presentation, what I'm Showing on the screen is a, um, a, a screen capture uh, that was taking, taken using a DOCSIS 3.0 modem, actually, a full-band capture modem of uh, the local broadcast feed that is uh, distributing a DOCSIS 3.1 channel. And so it's uh, you know, I gave this during my presentation, and basically what we're showing on here is a 96 megahertz DOCSIS 3.1 channel that's in the Atlanta area where I'm based, and we show that we show the a couple of nice things that you can see here. First of all, that uh, you can see a DOCSIS 3.1 channel using a DOCSIS 3.0 full band capture capable modem. You can see the pilots. And so on this slide, um, I'm showing the pilots. They're elevated about 6 dB higher uh, than the average channel power of the DOCSIS 3.1 channel. And then you can also see the PLC, and the PLC is the link channel. Uh, we, we often say that the PLC is really the a very critical part of the DOCSIS 3.1 channel because that's giving a lot of important information to the cable modems, um, like, you know, information about how they are going to communicate on the network itself. So placement of the PLC is really important because if that gets wiped out by like LTE ingress or something in a downstream, uh, all your modems are going to go, all your one modems are going to go offline. So I have that uh, indicated Plus, on here. Partial,
1: mode.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're going to fall okay, back I, into a different mode. I mean,
1: yeah, I think, I think what most systems are going to do right for the start is you're going to have a lot of 3o spectrum and 3.1 spectrum, and you're going to cross-bond, right? The 3.1 modem is going to cross-bond between the single carrier qualms and the uh, OFDM channel uh, because no one's really going to have enough spectrum just for 3.1 modems. So they'll cross-bond, and if you lose that PLC and lose the OFDM, that's three 3.1 channel, you basically you could drop down to almost like a 3o mode, like a, a partial downstream mode.
0: Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, this, so, uh, this is, it's just good to see that we have, uh, we do have DOCSIS 3.1 in production, uh, definitely in the Atlanta area. And, uh, and also we can see it with DOCSIS three zero modems and do analysis of it. We can see the channel power. So there's a little pop-up on the, on the screen here, uh, showing that channel 110, 711 megahertz is where the, uh, uh, where the plc is located you can measure the channel power there now well the one thing you can't measure is the mer because mer is measured on a subcarrier basis um for docsis one channels so unfortunately you can't measure that with a docsis 30 modem so that's that's uh something kind of cool to look at i don't know if john if there's anything else you want to discuss on one on the, like kind of the downstream yeah. here. i see.
1: actually have a I, yeah i have a question for you. uh brady was did uh, we rename, because Full Bandwidth Capture really is a Broadcom name, right? Is yeah. it renamed generically Band Capture
0: now? No, so we went back and forth um, within the PNM working group. Uh, at first, we thought we had to get get away from Full Band Capture because that was something that Broadcom came up with, but uh, it was not trademarked, and they Broadcom was okay with us using that um kind of as an industry term for full band capture just because it's been so widely used and so widely adopted across the industry so it's something that's generally accepted you can use that as uh whether it's an intel based chipset or a broadcom based chipset is something we can use
1: okay i mean is the other term wideband capture basically yeah. synonymous
0: yeah wideband capture full band okay. capture um they're all synonymous so okay
1: yeah, I mean, this is good. I mean, we even did a little bit of testing ourselves with the uh, 96 and 192 megahertz OFDM channel. And I was pleasantly surprised at the robustness when we injected carriers right underneath of my OFDM block. Uh, and I believe it's it's not just because of interleaving in the time domain, but possibly interleaving in the frequency domain. You're interleaving across subcarriers. Uh, it's more PC, uh, better FEC. Um, it just surprised me with the if I had narrow ingress, and, and it could be even six megahertz ingress, maybe it's LTE or an off-air broadcaster, and the level of MER I reached in 4K qual would still work, meaning that it wasn't a low MER for all my subcarriers, but a sub subset of subcarriers. Like, let's for instance say my channel at only six megahertz. You know, that would be, say, 50 kilohertz subcarriers. That would be whatever that number would be, like 100 subcarriers, whatever it is. Let's say the MER is down to, like, 20. Uh, a 20, you know, you wouldn't even think 64 QAM would work. Maybe I'm stretching it a bit. Um, but if the rest of the subcarriers were, say, 35, 40 dB, I could get 4K QAM to still work without uncorrectable effect, which almost makes it look like you were bypassing some of the subcarriers. But because of the interleaving and the FEC and LDPC and all this other stuff, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at how robust it really was. Uh, in regards to the PLC, you mentioned, yeah, you want to definitely place it in a nice, clean portion of your spectrum, but it's also running 16 qualm, So it is like pretty robust in that regard as well, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So not only but is it, it but it has the LDPC error correction, which is much more robust than a Reed Solomon error correction. So it, it is going to be very resilient to any type of uh, ingress. that's going to, we would see and any, even in the downstream, the ingress that we typically see isn't like the ingress that we see in the upstream.
1: Correct. I think as we see this mature, uh, we're going to see uh, some best practices, some more recommendations, maybe we can ease up on our our conservative approach to some of our thresholds like uh from the very beginning we've all said that oh yeah in a today's plant where you run 256 qualm you can run 1k prom 1k qualm no problem um i think a lot of systems are saying well 2k qualm is probably going to be okay for most of my modems look at my mers i'm almost leaning towards 4k qualm uh is going to be good for quite a bit of quite a few modems too and that's where i think we need to be proactive to see the MER readings of all the subcarriers and monitor over time and have uh, SDN app or some type of application that looks at all the modems, all the MERs of all the subcarriers, and then dynamically moves the modems between profiles.
0: Yep, absolutely. All right. So, John, uh, today back on to our topic, I think you also have some slides uh, to talk about DOCS's upstream and downstream speeds, right?
1: Yep, yep, um, so do I just start, to, do I just share it from my slides?
0: Um, yeah, just share directly from your slides, uh, up left, upper left-hand corner, there's that little green share button. All
1: right, on let's see. <laughs> I'm looking for the little green button. I guess you should have prepared for this one. So, so click on my slides, I see a WebEx share this file.
0: <laughs> Not on your slides. It's screen share on uh, on the Hangout there.
1: Okay. I think I see it. There we go. Let's do this. can so you see that? Yes. Okay. Let me hide it. All right. So I think we, you and I, kind of confirmed that we don't think the slideshow presentation works from this, right?
0: No, it doesn't very well. Yeah, so okay. that's one of the limitations of Google Hangouts. Uh, it, uh, full presentation mode doesn't work. So uh, one of the things we have to do is just you, you guys are all going to see uh, the raw slide deck in here. So it's a, a li- one of the limitations.
1: I can zoom in a little bit
0: better. Yeah, that looks fine, John.
1: Looks good like that? All that right. Looks good. I mean, I, these are, I threw these slides together based on some other presentations I've had over the years on understanding throughput and trying to get the best pe- speed possible. And um, I said, you know, if we just look at the lay- OSI, the seven-layer OSI model, uh, starting at layer one, work through layer two, three, and four, um, why do people not get the speed they're trying to get? Like, what is the pitfalls? Uh, what's holding me back? And a lot of it is like user error or you know self-inflicted pain uh, when trying to do certain tests. Like you're trying to do per modem speed tests, upstream and downstream totally different. Uh, whether you're doing UDP or TCP in layer four, uh, that could have a, a definitely uh, reaction to your speed test and results. So my agenda was you know looking at you know, troubleshooting, just starting out troubleshooting, looking at the OSI model, my rules for capacity planning, uh, things that I can do to increase it and some potential issues um to go through this kind of quick you know the seven layer osi model uh i have my own johnny mnemonic here (laughs) my mnemonic and these these have been thrown around quite a bit is uh all people seem to need data packets or please do not throw sausage pizza away (laughs) so whichever way you memorize this uh seven layer model uh so be it i don't really care but anytime you do troubleshooting always start at layer one uh, I have a lot of IP guys that are layer three centric and they'll start looking at the router and switches and SNMP and layer three information when, you know, why don't we just make sure things are plugged in and the dummy lights are on? You know, let's always start layer one and work our ways up from there, especially when we're doing speed tests. You know, you got to make sure you're not having an uncorrectable FEC drop packets, uh, and all your settings are actually set properly. Your MER readings are good. So then I came up with uh, looking at the OSI model, a little bit of, uh, humor here. I made up a haiku. <laughs> faulty layer one, but check layer two before layers three and four. So that's my haiku. <laughs> my uh, <laughs> uh, looking at you know my. Uh, I'm not trying to be a poet, but hey, what the heck? Uh, it's my slide. Yeah, I wouldn't board. quit your
0: day job on that one. So. <laughs> uh,
1: so it's no fun with faulty layer one. So we start at layer one. We look at drop packets. Uh, We looked at testing through wireless. Well, anytime you don't do it through a wire and you're doing through wireless, there's other encapsulation happening. There's other, people don't think about ingress at wireless, you know, 2.4 gigahertz. You can have ingress and overload from other wireless devices or even your microwave for that matter. Hopefully your microwave's not leaking, but hey. Uh, VPN, that could add 50 or so bytes of encapsulation to all your frames. Uh, Gigi port, if you are wired, the giggy port itself is limited to about 960 to 970 megabits per second. So you'll never really get one gig of speed in your customer's eyes from a giggy port. So these new modems, Docs 3.1 modems, usually have multiple giggy ports. So if you're trying to do more than one gig from a single PC with a giggy uh, Ethernet cable, you're not going to get gig. You're going to get about 960. The second part, don't be blue, proceed to layer two. <laughs> uh, layer two ethernet, you've got to realize that if you're going to do a test, always do it with the bigger, biggest frame possible. If the small frames are 64-byte frames all the way up to 1518, DOCSIS right from the very beginning in the spec uh, indicated 1522 to allocate a 4-byte VLAN tag. But DOCSIS 3.1 actually increased that to 2,000-byte PDU, payload data unit, or MTU. Um, so that, 2,000 bytes, if I could do that, 18 bytes of overhead on eight, 2,000 bytes is not that much overhead. But 18 bytes of overhead on a 64-byte frame, that's quite a bit of overhead. So if so, I can do—go
0: uh, ahead. So, so what is the actual setting there? So I, I always thought it was like 15, 18 bytes, but then, then you see the MTU size on the CMTS is typically 1,500 bytes. So, I do get confused in what the actual correct setting should be for the MTU size to be optimal.
1: You know, it gets very confusing between CMTS, uh, test equipment that is tra- a traffic generator, um, because you'll see it'll say full MTU, including overhead. So, it could be 1518. Another time, it might say the biggest frame you should do is 1514, because there's four bytes. For the CRC, does that sound right, or is it two bytes, four bytes, six six four two, or is it four? four? Yeah, I'm confusing myself as well.
0: Yeah, keep going.
1: Um, so, so, a lot, and sometimes the testing says don't include the 18-byte Ethernet because Ethernet overhead because it'll be added in. So, the the biggest frame you should do is 1500. So. It does get confusing and I've seen different equipment require different things and that's when you say, you know, go read the manual <laughs> um, so You'll be safe. I guess you could say you'd be safest doing a 1500 bite because then you'd be small enough not to be a jumbo frame So if it doesn't include the 1818 18 is so or at 1518 um, What I've done with speed tests is I try 1518 I've tried 1500 and I kind of manipulate the number till I find the best number that works well uh, or it doesn't cause any problems.
0: Yeah, so that's actually what I end up doing is I run a speed test if, uh, and then I change the MTU size. If the speed test gets better, I I change a little smaller. If the speed test gets even better, and and this of course is you know one of the recommendation is always make sure you're using a local speed test server, one that's in the head end, uh, same as the the CMTS or the device that you're optimizing.
1: Correct. I mean, you don't want to uh, throw in another variable by going outside. Or the head end to some some website you have no idea or control over right and that brings up another point a lot of speed test sites you can't control the the, the uh, Ethernet frame size you're testing with anyway you just hit go
0: yep, yep.
1: And a lot of times I found out those were end up being a 1024 byte Ethernet frame which may have not been as optimum as say testing with a 1500 byte Ethernet frame right Uh, I said it's hard to see past layer three, but don't don't ignore layer four (laughs) So I mean layer three uh, the traffic generator itself um, Is it doing IPv6 IPv4 is there extra overhead there? Uh, When we do reporting like your end customer is looking at their speed test results They're usually including at layer their layer three and above so it's not including the layer two 18 by overhead so when I look at my CMTS counters and my cable modem counters it could say one gigabit per second but the end customer might see 920 megabits per second because they're eliminating those 18 bytes of overhead on every Ethernet frame and if those Ethernet frames are small then that percentage is kind of big so it could be anywhere between one to ten percent overhead and not even realize it don't ignore layer four meaning if I'm looking at uh, the best possible way of testing you should be doing UDP user datagram protocol, which is, you know, individual upstream or downstream independent uh, TCP is uh, a two way street. If you are doing transmission control protocol, the downstream, you know, FTP downloading a file, you have to have upstream acknowledgements before the, the TCP flow can keep sending downstream traffic. Typically we see two downstream frames. with one upstream acknowledgement. So we do all that math. You turn out the upstream throughput could be limiting your downstream testing. So the upstream could be the bottleneck of your downstream test. So to avoid that or get rid of that variable, just do UDP testing if possible. But some test equipment, traffic generators, might not have that option. So layer one, you know, understand your MER, CNR, correctable-uncorrectable effect. Understand modem levels and ranging, uh, when the modems are coming online, T3, T4 timeouts. Look at the modem flap list. Uh, n- it now might be called modem diagnostic log. You can do layer 3 ping versus the layer 1, 2 boxes ping just to prove the modem is is actually online and getting layer 3. You have upstream spectrum monitoring in the CMTS. Uh, you have proactive network ma- maintenance um, for pre queue information and the wideband or full bandwidth capture for downstream spectrum analysis. So start layer 1, physical layer. I mean, it doesn't really end there. You still have to make sure your modems are in the proper state. So this is a big one that comes up with me lately. Is that uh, people think their modems are doing 24 by 8 in 24 downstream 8 upstream or 24 by 4 or 16 by 4 or whatever but they don't realize that just because the modem is reporting physical channels of downstream and upstream doesn't mean the service flow is using that bonding room so you could have a case where the modem is reporting 24 by 4 and then you don't realize that all voice calls in the upstream never get bonded. They actually use a single-channel bonding group, if that makes sense. Single-channel bonding sounds like an oxymoron. So single-channel means when you have a scheduled flow on the upstream, we're not going to spread it across multiple upstreams because then you couldn't guarantee the jitter and latency. So they are pushed to a single scheduler in one upstream channel.
0: Now That's a a function in the CMTS, right? Or is that a function of QoS, where if you do a voice call, the CMTS recognizes this is a voice call and I mean, wh- wh- who actually decides that? Is it the CMTS that decides yeah, that? Or it, yeah, it's the
1: CMTS. So the CMTS would see that it's a scheduled call and have to schedule it in the upstream scheduler for mini slots. Uh, and then it would assign it to one of the default single channel bonding groups. So even though you might have made a four channel upstream bonding group, your best effort data, like, you know, surfing the net and whatever upstream traffic would be four channel bonding, but your Your voice calls, if they are UGS, would end up using a single channel.
0: Okay. so
1: I bring it up up because you could have a case where a modem shows as UB upstream bonding. So you think it's doing your your statically manually created four-channel bonding group, but it shows UB because it picked a single-channel bonding group. And then you're like, well, why am I not getting the speed? Well, it's only doing single-channel. You're not going to get better than probably 10 to 15 megabits per second. You know, it, it might be still doing cc mode or CCF, continuous concatenation fragmentation, so which will get better per modem speeds. But if it's only doing single channel, You know what do you expect? A single channel is only worth about 27 megas per second. And doing a single modem test on one channel, maybe you'll get 15, depending on the settings. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely.
1: So my, my point is I've seen modems that show 8x4 and in the configuration in the cmts you may have configured two four channel bonding groups embedded in the eight channel bonding group and it turned out the modem picked a four channel bonding group for the best ever flow and the other four channel bonding group for some other flow uh, and then it showed up as eight channels but it wasn't doing eight channel bonding so i need to make sure my service flow is actually using the proper forwarding interface
0: yeah, I but in the, in that case, isn't a cable modem, if in in a DOCSIS 2.0 mode, as as you're indicating, and it would it would show that it would show well, online that's versus that's w online.
1: That, that's that's the first bullet point. That's if I if I uh, um, have a 3.0 modem that comes up as online mode, then it's basically 2.0 mode. That's an easy one to follow, but you still have to be proactive enough to know what command to run to find out which modems are in that mode. Um, is it like a command show kill modem wideband register traditional doxus? That's a Cisco command. Uh, you could track that. I would recommend tracking every day and making sure that uh, if modems are 3.0 modems and they're in 2.0 mode, uh, maybe clear them out every day or figure out why. Uh, the, per, the, the point about the service flow was bullet point number three. That was just making sure that the modem, even though it's showing up as W online, it's not partial, it's W online and it's showing, say, 8x4 mode, it doesn't mean the service flow is actually using 8-channel bonding.
0: Right, okay.
1: I might have to look deeper. And it might be, you do the speed test and you don't get the speed you think you should, then you would look deeper. Does that make sense?
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: And then other bottlenecks, your CMTS, uh, stale service flows, supervisor, line card, CPU, and memory uh, SID, uh, CID space, um, depletion. Uh, so there's other things that could be, you know, depleting or affecting my speed.
0: So, you know, we used to see SID space depletion occur a lot with DOCSIS 2.0 CMTSs, or do we still have that occur with 3.0 CMTSs where we have so many more, you know, the SID space increased so dramatic, so much more dramatically.
1: You know, that one there is kind of interesting because when I look at, Capacity planning, I'm finding that we have less modems on a CMTS to offer the speeds we're trying to offer So it might be you're adding more downstream and upstream spectrum and channels to offer higher speeds but your modem count is still under 40,000 or 50,000 devices Where I was seeing sit space depletion was when I started doing so many devices because I was offering DSG DSG docs a set-top gateway, every house could turn into three revenue-generating units, three RGUs. I think that's what you call it, right? RGUs? Yeah. Because now you could have a house with one modem for data and two modems embedded in set-top boxes for video. So now that one – say you had a CMTS with 15,000 devices. After you introduce DSG, that could turn out to be 45,000 devices in a couple weeks. If assuming every house gets two DSG setup boxes. So those devices take up, take up SID space, but they don't take up speed. So utilization wasn't my problem, but they do take up SID space. And then you might say, well, what about DOCSIS 3.0 modems? Well, DOCSIS 3.0 modems, to get better upstream speed from a 3.0 modem, we might turn on something called SID Cluster 2, which allows a 3.0 modem to use two SIDs for upstream bonded traffic. So now that 3.0 modem really looks like two modems in regards to SID space. So we could start depleting some of our SID space. Not, I haven't seen it that much. I mean, for instance, Cisco SID space is 8,175 SIDs per cable interface. I don't really see us hitting that number um, anytime soon. Um, but really, it could come down to how many devices did you really put on a Mac domain, a cable interface? You get that?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I I was just curious if I haven't seen SID depletion become an issue, but I, I do understand with the, if you're putting all your set-top boxes and your modems on a CMTS, it, it could become problematic. Um, a number of operators I've seen, they're typically putting set-top boxes if they become, if you reach a certain count, on a CMTS they'll start deploy those on another CMTS.
1: Well, you know another one I, f- I forgot about was uh stale sids. I've seen where EMTA's make voice calls and then when the uh, you hang up there's a TTA timer or a, a, one of the T timers that's supposed to indicate you know tear down the sid because it's it's D-Quash, right? Dynamic quality service. So it's a dynamic service ad, dynamic service uh, 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 uh delete. Right. Uh, if that doesn't happen, the CMTS might hold on to it, and now you have stale SIDs that are not even being used.
0: Yeah, that's, so that's that was something. That, that's a firmware issue, right, or or a software iOS issue that was that that's something that was taken care of.
1: But I, I still once in a while see some EMTAs with old firmware that are not uh, sending the timer properly, or maybe it was just some miscommunication. Uh, we have a command on our CMTS that kind of like overrides. It says if there's a dynamic service flow, secondary service flow, that has no activity after a user configurable threshold of minutes, uh, the CMTS will tear it down. So we have kind of like a catch-all on our CMTS that uh, if I – and I usually set it at 300 seconds. So if I have a service flow activity timeout of 300 seconds, so if a voice call sets up, tears down, but the CMTS sees the service flow is still sitting there with no activity, no bits per second, after five minutes, it'll tear it down.
0: Yeah, so back to the adage upgrade firmware on the modems, yeah. upgrade operating system on the CMTSs.
1: Yeah, so so let's assume layer one looks good. The modem's doing the proper bonding. Uh, I'm not having drop packets. My MER is good. My CNR is good. Everything looks clean and fine. Then we look at layer two. Um, like I mentioned, layer two can be between 64, 15, 22 bytes. That's been increased to 2,000 bytes for three one. I don't know if that actually. Is relevant for the gigi ports of the 3.1 modem or maybe just the wireless part of a 3.1 modem so I'm not entirely sure like what happens if I go to 2,000 bytes through the modem itself if it's Ethernet if it's an Ethernet port so I don't know if it turns out to be a jumbo frame or if that's more and it gets fragmented anyway uh, and maybe that I'm not really sure at that point, um, but I do know that if I can do a bigger payload data unit, that the 18 bytes of overhead is less percentage. Uh, so that's one way of looking at it. Docs is overhead more than you expect. Uh, six bytes docs is five bytes BPI plus six bytes of bonding overhead. So there's docs is overhead on every single frame as well. Uh, I wrote power boost adds a wrinkle to all this um, when I start doing uh, letting the modem burst for maybe a peak rate for 10 seconds, uh, that adds a little bit different wrinkle to my speed tests. You know, you see the speedometer go up to uh, 500 megabits per second, and it drops down to 300 megabits per second. So, I mean, Power Boost does give an added perception of higher speed for a certain amount of time. So we can exploit that functionality potentially to get better speed or better reporting, if you will.
0: So you're saying it Layers adds a free. wrinkle? I, I always look at Power Boost as being a benefit overall in in improving network speed, customer perception of of what they're getting for their their you know the dollar they're paying. So are you saying Power Boost is a bad thing?
1: Well, it depends if you want uh, wrinkly jeans or straight jeans. Maybe you want the wrinkled look. I like <laughs> the straight
0: jeans, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> I said wrinkle meaning. Uh, maybe I shouldn't use wrinkle. I, I, you know, it's a good and a bad. It, it's a, it has pros and cons. The pros, like you said, it gives it better perceptions throughput. The con or the the wrinkle would be, it could make your utilization on your interface look high, even though no one's complaining. So how do you decide when to do node splits? So if you typically had the rule of thumb that once my downstream is 85% utilized, I have to do a node split or add more downstream spectrum, power boost could make that. Appear high all the time, but there's no real justification to do a note split. That makes sense?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I understand what you're saying. I still, I I wouldn't take it away.
1: Uh, Layer three, IPv6 versus four. IPv6 adds 20 more bytes versus IPv4.
0: So it's going to add to the the overhead calculation.
1: Yeah, but I mean, What's interesting there is when you do a speed test, it's at layer three and above. So basically, um, if it's IPv6, it's just part of the, the speed that gets reported to you anyway. So that's at layer three, so no big deal. All right. uh, layer three versus layer two reporting, this is what I mentioned earlier, the CMTS reporting versus the speed test site. That could easily be two to 10% difference. This is why you'll see a lot of people Configure about 10% higher uh, on their CM file than what they actually advertise. So you might offer 10 meg service, but you actually configure 11 meg just so you can cover this layer two versus layer three reporting. Kind of like how do I ring the bell? You know, how do I get the customer to see the speed we're trying to offer and market? Layer four, I mentioned uh, TCP versus UDP. If you can do UDP, that would be the way to go. If you're doing TCP, Keep in mind that upstream speed limitation could affect downstream TCP flows. Over the top video is TCP; uh, it's uh, a- a- adaptive bitrate and it's a TCP-based, so it will create more upstream acknowledgments and upstream traffic to do more downstream over the top video. So Hulu, Netflix, and all that is going to create more acts or more acknowledgments and more upstream traffic. <laughs> Verify utilization: uh, single cable modem speed versus multiple modems. You might have a difficult time hitting your aggregate speed with a single modem because of single modem speed issues. Request grant cycle on the upstream, uh, the CPU of the modem itself. Sometimes it's better to use a handful of modems with realistic speeds to see what the aggregate is for your your downstreams. So if you're trying to prove that four-channel bonding can hit 144 megabits per second aggregate, don't try to do it with a single modem. No, do like three or four modems at at 30 megabits per second or whatever.
0: Well, what if you're trying to test uh, a service flow of like 100 megabits per second?
1: Well, in in that case, you shouldn't be doing it with four-channel bonding in the first place. One of our rules of thumb was make sure your aggregate is at least two times the amount of your highest offering. So if you're trying to do 100 megabits per second speed, you might be configuring 110, at 10% overhead, and really you should have like a 220 aggregate pipe. A two twenty aggregate pipe would be close to six to eight downstreams of bonding, not four channel bonding.
0: right. so if if I want to do a hundred meg service tier, I need at least eight channels bonded in a downstream.
1: I would say at least six, but you know we've always tried to keep it an even increment of four, right. And that makes it much simpler. Because I mean the modems are four channel eight channel, sixteen, twenty four and thirty
0: two, right? right.
1: So here's my uh, some some of my rules I've been using for capacity planning. That was, you know, I've configured 1.1 times my marketed speed. So that's 10% over. That's just to cover my layer two versus layer three reporting. Uh, I would say we might want to start pulling this back and reeling this back to maybe a 1.05 multiplication factor, or maybe even less. And I'll get to why I'm saying that. Uh, downstream to upstream, 10 to 1 ratio. This one has been easy math, and we've been doing this for a while. Um, to really cover that TCP downstream, upstream, we really could start reeling this back a little bit as well. Some people might go the other way and say, ah, nah, I don't know, I might go the other The reason why I bring this up is when we go one gig down, if we do 10 to 1, we'd have to offer 100 meg up. To offer 100 meg up, we'd need 200 meg upstream pipe. To do 200 meg upstream pipe, you'd need more than 42 megahertz of upstream spectrum. So to work with what we got, 42 megahertz upstream spectrum in the U.S., you're only going to get four ATDMA upstream channels. Bond that, you get 108. From a 108 aggregate, you could offer maybe a 50 meg offering. 50 meg is legitimate and could be used for a one gig down and still cover maybe 20 meg of acknowledgments as worst case and still have 30 meg on the upstream for actual upstream flow. Now, the pitfall to this one gig by 50 is marketing. You know, if you offer a 300 by 30, you really should start pulling back the 500 and go maybe 500 by 40, then one gig by 50. If we keep doing the one to 10 ratio of downstream to upstream offering, we're kind of pigeonholing ourselves. One
0: gig by 100.
1: Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. But I'm saying we need to start pulling that back so people aren't getting the perception that every time they upgrade downstream they're going to get an upgraded upstream because we're we're hitting the brick wall on the upstream right so i, I really think a one gig by 50 makes sense a 500 by 40 makes sense um and maybe a 300 by 30 is the last time i do a 10 by one ratio some people would argue that with uh, one gig down maybe you should have more than 100 meg up um one of the, some of the things that help us on the upstream uh, is uh, ax suppression But we find that when we have a lot of downstream flows that are kind of uh, low speed like 5 to 10 to 15 megabits per second um, You won't get much ax suppression happening anyway so if you had a 3-1 modem in your house or even a 3 modem in your house and you had uh, uh, Xbox and five kids doing over-the-top video and you were doing DVR of two shows and you're watching a show, there could be de- 10 different flows happening. Each of them might be 10 mega So that's 100 megabits per second. When I do 100 megabits per second with one flow, my ax suppression drops my ax to two meg upstream to about 700 kilobits per second upstream. So ax suppression is great. But when I do 10 flows at 10 megapiece, it's 100 megabits per second aggregate of speed, I don't get that ax suppression kicking in. So you end up with about two meg of upstream traffic to support all those low-speed flows, I'm saying low-speed 10 meg is kind of low-speed nowadays. But uh, <laughs> that's
0: get to that. a relative term.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it is, isn't it?
0: <laughs> 10 meg low-speed.
1: So, <laughs> so the number three was power boost, and power boost was great for low-speed tiers from DOCSIS 2 modems. But I really think that if you look at my point number four, I could exploit power boost to bypass rule number one. So <laughs> I really think that once I get to one gig down or even 500 meg down, I don't want to do a 10% over provision because one gig 10% over would be 1.1 gig provisioning. You're offering 100 megabit per second over provisioning just to cover your layer three versus layer two reporting. Well, maybe I can just do power boost for six or seven seconds, and that can kind of cover my layer three versus layer two reporting because the only time I'm reporting is when people are doing speed tests. So. Why not use a peak rate TLV and let the power boost take care of it? And I actually have a, 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 a some diagrams of power boost uh, coming up. I did some power boost with boxes 3.1. Oh, sorry.
0: Oh, I was.
1: New slide. Yeah, I hit enter. I thought I was doing a slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things I already talked about was aggregate speech would be two times your highest offering. Uh, oversubscription is fuzzy math. I mean, really we run these numbers trying to give people an idea of how to oversubscribe so what i've come up with was if your aggregate is 2x meaning if i have 100 megabits per second pipe and i'm offering 50 megabits per second service you might be able to do a 25 to 50 to 1 over subscription when your aggregate is 4x you could probably get away with 50 to 100 uh, to 1 over subscription if aggregate is 10 to 1 you could use a 100 to 1, and that's kind of where we used to be back in the old days.
0: Now, now what is the – I'm not following the aggregate number. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: So, so if your aggregate type size – and let's say it's a 8-channel bonded modem. So the aggregate for that 8-channel bonded modem is about 288. So from that 8-channel bonded modem, if you're trying to offer 50 megabits per second, well, 288 – Divided by fifty is about three hundred. Divided by fifty is, 30, is about six x.
0: Right, right. I got the I got so, the x now. The x. Uh, x
1: now. So, so, basically, all eight channel modems that are offering fifty megabits per second, you could probably afford to put in there. Uh, we came up with about six x. So six modems could operate simultaneously if you oversubscribe by fifty. Six times fifty would be three hundred of those modems. So if you had eight downstreams and you offered 50 megabits per second, 300 modems could share those eight downstreams.
0: Right. And this is good fuzzy math, though. I I, I like the uh, the way you look at the aggregate and and apply that to an over subscription model.
1: I mean, I think kind of the bottom line there is is just like Erlangs and and voice capacity planning. When the trunk is bigger, you can oversubscribe more. Right. And that's basically what you're saying. The trunk is 10x. You could oversubscribe maybe a hundred to one. Now some people might cut all these numbers in half. So I mean, it is fuzzy math.
0: Yeah, well, it's always up to the the operator to decide how much they you know, where their their threshold is to say um, I'm comfortable with this oversubscription number. If they want to be more conservative, they reduce it.
1: Yeah, and I always say this is a starting point, right? It's a starting point. And then you actually track utilization, which yeah. is point number nine. You know, you start out with uh, your your Assumptions and then point number nine you monitor actual utilization Uh, Point number ten that's kind of uh, That could be a touchy subject, but it's still the old rule of thumb was you know 10% of your users are eating up 80% of your spectrum or 80% of your capacity So you do have some people that are abusing it Uh, so by controlling them or maybe forcing them to slower speeds once in a while putting them in the penalty box, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you could have better quality of experience for everybody else by controlling abusers. I mean, we got to admit this is a shared medium. We are sharing it, which is the baseline of our oversubscription. This is how we make money by oversubscribing it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) At the end of the day, we're here to make money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. (laughs) So I, uh, to, for all those kind of capacity planning, I also had 10 points to ponder. That was basically stuff we have not talk about already. Um, I kind of bring up a few things here. And, Brady, I can give you a copy of these slides and people could download them. I don't know if you have, want to put them on your website later
0: on. Yeah, I can do that.
1: So I don't want to go through every one of these, but looking at Power Boost, this was the original you know, trademark name from Comcast, and, and other people might call it something different. And some, some MSOs have actually... I think got the naming rights with Comcast to call power boost, on cost communication that it calls a power boost as well. Here was a downstream power boost where uh, I was utilizing power boost to not have to over-provision this modem 10%. So I said, well, I'm going to offer a 500 meg service. I'm going to configure a peak speed of 600 meg, a max rate of 510. So I'm only really over-provisioning 2%. But I did a peak rate of 600 meg, and I did a 70 megabyte downstream max burst, which equated wow. to about a six second power boost.
0: Now, did so you run sure a goes. speed test on this to see how it how it actually looked on the speed test site?
1: Yeah, that's and this is what you're seeing right here. Is, uh, it was from the um, uh, byte blower. I don't yeah. know if you're familiar with From that. Accentus. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and I was doing doctors 3.1 showing Offering a 500 meg service, but really provisioning 510 with a peak rate of 600, but a 70 megabyte downstream max burst. That right there equates to about six seconds of power boost. Yep. So from a from an end user's point of view, they would see close to 600, maybe 580, but they're only paying for 500, so they're happy.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, if I want more time, I would just make this downstream max burst more bytes. I might do 100 megabytes and get 10 seconds. Really, the amount of time the power boost is related to how high is that peak above my max rate. Like this area, can you see my mouse moving? Yeah, I can. Yeah, if you looked at this area under the curve right here, that would be like saying it's 70 megabytes worth of data. But if I said 100 megabytes and kept that same peak, that would end up extending it further in time. If I change the peak up to a higher peak, this would have to pull into a shorter amount of time to have the same area under the curve.
0: And what controls sense. the peak again?
1: That's an actual setting. It's a peak rate TLV in the CM file. Okay. Yeah, that's an actual setting in the CM file. That was added with DOCSIS 3.0, and then I believe it was backported for DOCSIS 2.0. Maybe only with service class names in the CMGS. Yeah. But it's a DOCSIS 3.0 peak rate TLV. I even said, you know, you could do this on the upstream as well. Not many people know this, but you could manipulate this uh, setting in the CM file called max upstream traffic burst. So what I did is I set a 10 meg service. I set it for a 15 meg peak rate with two megabyte upstream max traffic burst. I got about a three second power boost on the upstream. So this was just showing uh, functionality of you know, power boost on upstream and downstream. Right. Continuing on with my downstream points. Um, uh, uh, we talked about the TCP being a problem, um, more frames, more CPU. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see, Netflix over-the-top uh, video, uh, adaptive bitrate stuff. That's going to cause a little bit of extra overhead.
0: And the um, pressure, thats, that's all automatically turned on. That's not something that a, a right. someone needs to turn on, or we can really change. That's all done in the in the firmware. Correct.
1: Right. You know, even when you do downstream TCP testing, because the TCP window can automatically adjust, I I wonder sometimes does ACK suppression affect my downstream TCP flow stability? A lot of times you'll do a TCP flow and you or test and you'll see it look like a sawtooth because it's ramping up. Then it could be ACK suppression maybe drops one ACK. But that act suppression really—that one act really was four act acts, right? So now your downstream TCP says, "Oh, I was trying to do ten to one down, downstream TCP uh, windowing, and they had to drop back down to four So now your speed drops. Or could it be? What if I have power boost? If I do power boost at the very beginning, does that affect my over the top video setup because it adapts the bit rate? And uh, what is the TCP flow? Well. Normally when you do a speed test, the speed test is done by the time power boost is done, uh, so maybe that's not such a big big deal. But when you do long-term TCP tests, you, you could see a sawtooth type of reaction, right? I mean, that's why I say, if you're doing a speed test, UDP would be the way to go. TCP can have a lot of variables that affect your, your results.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: As far as upstream goes, the DOCSIS protocol really screws me up with DOCSIS 2011. You have to do a request grant cycle So this request grand cycle of a modem making request, CMTS sending the grant on a downstream map, uh, that can take a long time. So going to DOCSIS 3.0 with continuous concatenation fragmentation, it's called MTC mode, I get much better speed. So there's a few tweaks I need to do to get better upstream speeds when I look at single modem speeds.
0: Yeah, so I want to mention that, John, because that was something that you had had, uh, taught me that I did not realize that even if you're... If you're not doing channel bonding in the upstream, uh, that it's in, it's important to enable MTC mode in the upstream because it it allows it enables that functionality you just mentioned continuous right. mode.
1: So, yeah, even if you don't make an upstream bonding group, the, the at least the Cisco CMTS has single channel default bonding groups. So a modem that comes up in one channel MTC mode, that modem will have better per modem upstream speed than a 2.0 modem. That makes sense. Yeah. Still single channel on the upstream, but, but a.
0: It did make sense. it to first level. told me, but it did make sense to me after I did it, and, and I got better performance. <laughs> so.
1: And uh, so, downstream speed is a lot of things that affect my my traffic. Upstream speed, same thing. At the very bottom, I mentioned you know mod profiles, channel width. You know, bigger pipes are always better. Um. Looking at some throughput numbers, this was just for DOCSIS 2.0 or single carrier Guam, uh, DOCSIS 3.0, DOCSIS 2.0, single carrier. Um, most times I'm really, I'm telling people the real usable throughput of a downstream channel is closer to 36. Uh, it could be 37.5. It was secondary only. And, but when you do primary uh, for 2.0, 3.0 and modems to lock on to that downstream, then you have downstream maps. And the more upstreams in a cable interface or more upstreams in your Mac domain, the more maps you have to send on the downstream, which creates more overhead. Uh, upstream, uh, you know, now we're looking at 64 qualm, 6.4 megahertz on the upstream, which equates to about 27 megabits per second usable rate. Increase my speed, uh, more compression. Is it H265? Does that sound right? Is it H.265 or just H265? H.265 okay i wasn't could to remember if i had it right or not i mean that's trying to take your compression another le- level above mpeg4 so you know we're trying to do analog reclamation now we're trying to do digital reclamation where we're getting rid of mpeg2 trying to go to mpeg4 ip video but now when you're looking at if you're doing 4k tv uh we need even better compression so h265 gives better compression but now we're sending even more bytes and bits for uh 4k tv so it's funny, it's like we seem like we get better compression, but we keep coming out with more higher definition. <laughs> so they kind of offset each other all the time. Yeah, 8Ks so eight, right eight, eight are to, coming. Yeah, so <laughs> we're right back to almost six megahertz of spectrum needed to do, say, 4K TV, one channel, uh, because it's speed that might be needed. Yeah. And it obviously, it depends on how much compression and everything else is going on. I don't think it's quite that bad, but you sort of get the idea have you heard of any uh, speed requirements for 4K TV
0: well i mean for 4K TV the original uh, guidance from netflix was about 25 megabits per second but now they've they're they're improving the compression where i think they're down around 12 megabits per second uh, for the 4K TV I mean, that's a big
1: that's a big improvement it's, it a, it's a huge
0: improvement but it, it they are saying it's going to be dependent upon the amount of movement in the picture so it's really high. if it's really high action, then it, it's going to be – it is It is a dynamic. It's a variable bit rate. Um, it's it. like,
1: what kind of movie is going to watch with 4K? I mean, I'm going to want to watch action.
0: With 4K TV. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I want to watch CNN all day long on 4K. <laughs> Talking heads.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure you know, the actors are going to say, hey, can you make my face SDTV?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> can you do standard definition on my face? And just high def on everything else. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, increasing our aggregate speed, obviously, is going to get us better speed. Uh, Docs is 2.0, 3.0, one is where we're going downstream, upstream will be coming down the road. But with limited upstream spectrum, I don't see one upstream really being a push uh, for quite a while. Unless we go 5 to 85 megahertz, then it very well could be. Yeah, and some systems I know are going to 85 megahertz in the upstream. So here's my high-speed recipe. Uh, Layer one, uh, full upstream downstream bonding, proper CM file settings, wired connections, so not just one wired connection, maybe multiple wired connections. Uh, No drop, delayed segments, frames, or packets. So make sure my physical layer is good. Layer two, always test with the biggest frames possible. Layer three, uh, uh, if we do IPv6, I don't know that there's any problem there. The only issues I've seen so far was when I was looking at voice capacity on my CMTS. We have a special mod profile for voice called AUGS in the mod profile. Uh, It's a burst, AUGS. And I have it optimized for a 232-byte voice frame. Well, it turns out that voice frame now is 252 bytes because the extra 20 bytes of IPv6. And if I do BSOD, business services over DOCSIS with a four-byte BLAN tag, it could be 256 bytes. So there is some manipulation I've done to my AUGS burst to get a little bit better efficiency on my voice package. So that kind of comes into play in my voice testing. Uh, test with intended speed. Here what I'm trying to say is you don't want to take a modem that you want – I don't want to say this. Say you're testing 10 megabits per second on the upstream and you blast the modem with 40 megabits per second into the modem. That modem has to buffer that information, try to concatenate it, store it, send it, make a request uh, and get a grant and keep sending and concatenating it and then sending it and buffering it. I've found that sometimes modems get inundated with too much traffic and kind of like choke on it. Sometimes you're better off, if you're trying to do 10 megabits per second, inject 11 or start with five and then work your way up. Don't just blast the modem uh, with speed and and uh, have it wide open. So if I do 50 megabits per second on the upstream, I might test with 50 or 55 or 60. Um, but I'm not going to try to blast it. And, uh, oh, by the way, if you ever reboot a modem, make sure you turn off the traffic generator. And sometimes that tra- traffic generator blasting the Ethernet port of a modem, when it's trying to reboot in the background, it just kind of hangs.
0: Yeah, it's not going to reboot. It can't get its uh, its uh, DHCP and, request, and thing- request through.
1: Yeah, so a lot of times these, these traffic generators might be just blasting traffic. Um, it's not really a speed test site, right? It's just a traffic generator. Uh, layer 4, test with UDP if you can. If you need to test with TCP, maybe you should do multiple flows or multiple cable modems. Some of my, my checklist was highest offering should be half of the aggregate, so the aggregate pipe should always be two times your biggest offering. Use Power Boost wherever you can, maybe even exploit it for those higher-level speeds to get rid of that 10% over-parisoning. Uh, self-healing features like low-balancing, resilient bonding group, dynamic modulation. Place your DDoX3 on PLC in the best spectrum possible, uh, so you should know what your spectrum looks like manage fair use of the network with uh maybe subscriber traffic management bike counting uh find out who your heavy users are use ipdr monitor traffic load uh that one's interesting too because i've had people have a large rolling time average window and it affects their load balance meaning if it's really large window the load balance looks perfect but it's not so if i had a three a five minute window you could have 50% utilization, but it's really not 50%. It was 50% in five minutes. So every minute it could have went 100%, next minute, zero. Well, now at of five minutes, it's 50%. So really a little bit more granularity in my rolling time window would be a little bit better. I've been setting my load interval in my CMTS to 30 seconds, which was the lo- lowest setting I could. And it gives me a little bit more up-to-date readings for my load balance utilization. Monitor your modem states, make sure the modems are doing what it's supposed to be doing, uh, and utilize pure XB tests. That could be uh, the built in FTP functionality in some of the newer 3.0 modems. Uh, I know Comcast and others might be using something called Banana Pi or Raspberry Pi. Uh, a small, what is that, uh, Brady? It's a small.
0: The Raspberry uh, Pi, right? Is that?
1: Yeah, but I think they're using another one called Banana Pi.
0: I haven't heard of the Banana Pi before.
1: Yeah, so it's a, what, it's a small. Yeah, a little,
0: little tiny Linux. Uh hardware board, little, little tiny computer.
1: So you could, you could like, uh, uh, attach it to your modem in say a, I don't want to say user's house, but maybe an employee's house. Yeah. Right? A
0: friendly, a friendly. A friendly yeah.
1: <laughs> that way you could do a speed test. But if the modem have a built-in FTP server, why not just use that? So instead of attaching an external device to do a speed test, why not use the internal FTP? Now, um, so, have
0: to make sure if i'm doing yeah so so in the Dox is 3.1 spec part of the pnm capabilities is that every cable modem will have its own ability to do a speed test
1: and i think that's part of it right the built in ftp server
0: yeah yeah it's a tftp file transfer that allows us to do it
1: okay um, some other points here understanding the theoretical rate right for your test uh, math is just my starting point bigger pipes are always better um, This bullet point here just because you have more speed doesn't mean a better quality of experience Because what if you have latency or jitter sensitive services like uh, gaming? So I got to wonder if if I have a gaming service that's say five megabits per second would I get better Latency or better less latency and better less jitter if I push that service flow to a four-channel bonding group versus a 24-channel bonding group.
0: Because you're not striping four. across 24 yeah. channels. You're only striping yeah. across four channels or, or eight channels.
1: Yeah, because then you got to resequence the packets. Everything has to come in. You would think, you know, it, it's faster speeds or everything should be coming in very, very fast and resequencing and all that. But, um, you know, it, it remains to be seen if this is an issue or not. But I've seen it happen with voice already. You know where a downstream voice call when you do all the overheads only about 110 kilobits per second but if you stripe it across eight downstreams you could get voice jitter and latency you get so, voice quality issues
0: so basically the more channels you have to sequence or stripe across that resequencing is taking is is that increasing the lit- latency and jitter
1: potentially yes hmm. so i mean it's uh if we look at uh, how voice reacted Uh, Maybe other flows would react better as well, like gaming flows that you're, you know, you're more, you want to see the snappiness of, you know, you're shooting a gun or whatever's going on in your game. Um, You don't want any latency there. Uh, Or even
0: even non-managed service, uh, voice services like Skype or FaceTime or, you know, things like that, I would imagine it would impact.
1: Correct. And then, and then even uh, I mentioned at the beginning, we don't. We don't bond upstream traffic that's scheduled. Well, Skype and Vonage is not scheduled traffic; it's best effort voice. So that stuff would get bonded if, depending on like how it gets put in there. So there could be some latency, and and uh, you know UGS is unsolicited grant, so you don't make a request; it's unsolicited. But VoIP and Scottish makes bandwidth requests that could have contention. Right. So the more Vonage and Skype you have, the more contention and collisions you could have. So you could drop back into worse quality experience, but I mean that's a good thing for cable operators, right? We're trying to we're trying to push our own UGS flows and not have people use bondage and Skype. Well,
0: wow. yeah, the reality is people are using them, and yes. and things like FaceTime and stuff like that. I mean, we we have th- those services are growing, and I think we're going to see a lot of usage of that, and they're they're just simply not going to be something that a cable operator can offer easily as a managed service because they they they're. It, I, they grow outside of the, uh, the network, you know, they, they go from a wireless network onto the cable network and then off the wire, off the cable network.
1: Correct. Right. So my, my last slide basically was saying, you know, uh, ounce of prevention with a pound of cure, meaning be aware of ingress, potential ingress sources on your spectrum. So either stay away from them or just be cautious. Um, like where do you place your PLC for a three one? Uh, reassess your spectrum. Someone the other day asked, you know with all this downstream channels, video, doxus, three one, do I even need to do downstream sweeping anymore or is it really like a sweepless sweep? And th- where I see s- actual sweep insertion still being relevant is validating the spectrum that you never validated before. meaning if I'm gonna go from 860 to one gig, you're going to have to validate your plant's going to be able to go from 860 to 1 gig without huge roll-off from water in the taps, suck-outs. And what if you decide to go to 1.218 gigahertz You know, DOCSIS 3.1 spec? So now you're going to maybe have to inject carriers there before you even decide to put a DOCSIS 3.1 OFTM channel in there. So um, inserting sweet points at that upper end where we've never even seen what it looks like is going to be a necessity. And it could be we used a full bandwidth capture of the modems as well. And uh, maybe we look at the noise floor, but um, um, I don't know if that would strictly replace a sweet type of response.
0: And going to 1.218 gigahertz is actually a really valid uh, application because one of the reasons a DOCSIS 3.1 spec is allocated out to 1.218 gigahertz is because they, you know, they, they believe that if you had a 1 gigahertz plant now that we can go well beyond 1 gigahertz with DOCSIS 3.1. Docsis 3.1 would support that. So going beyond it is something we can do. It might be a lower order modulation. It might not be 4096 QAM. It might be 1024 or even 512 QAM. But those subcarriers will go out there. They might be rolling off, but sweeping out beyond that would tell us, you know, what's the roll off? How far out can we go? Maybe it's not 1.2. Maybe it's, you know, 1.1 or 1.15, something like that. But being able to support. Frequencies beyond one gigahertz with existing plant gives us a lot of capability to add capacity beyond that So those are those are really great opportunities and to your point that that's a that's an opportunity to To maybe sweep out beyond that and and see you know What can we do in that those areas? How much spectrum can we support before we actually deploy it or maybe cable operators? are just gonna start putting three one out there and see how much roll-off is is there with a a 30 or one modem and, and see what the modulation is.
1: Yeah, I mean it's um it, it's it could be a costly proposition. <laughs> um but then again then may maybe they just activate the spectrum out there and don't even put modems on it yet, right? Maybe you just activate
0: uh, Right. Yeah, you're going to you're going to see what the roll off is one way or another, so you can do maybe it with sweep or you can do it a, hmm, exactly. Cuz it it gives you a nice, it gives you a nice flat spectrum. If it's not rolling off, it's rolling off. You're gonna, you're gonna see the roll off in the spectrum itself.
1: Yeah. So. And then by going to each modem that has a full bandwidth capture, you're getting basically an end of line report everywhere you have a modem.
0: Yeah.
1: And the other reason we want to go out to 1.218 gigahertz is because the upstream might be eating into my downstream. So if I go from 42 to 85, I just ate a few channels out of my downstream. If I yeah. go From 85 to 204, you really ate into your downstream.
0: Yeah. So we got to make some shifts and increase our frequency spectrum. So, are right, you wrapped up on that presentation?
1: Yeah, it's, um, uh, what else? I think that was basically it. I mean, uh, you mentioned ANGA at the beginning of, you know, today's uh, Google Hangout. Uh, at ANGA in Cologne, Germany, I, I was on a panel that uh, I thought was kind of interesting is most people saying if it's a greenfield deployment, why not just do Fiber to the Home and do EPON, GPON? And one of the people in my panel, they were doing a complete rip out and overall, and it, it wasn't quite uh, Greenfield, but it sort of felt like it. Uh, and they decided to do a remote FI. And so, even though it was kind of a complete rip out, the remote FI architecture and solution still has co- a lot of cost benefits over a complete GPON, EPON solution. One of the things, you know, it's funny, we used to say last mile, last mile, last mile. Now it's not last mile, it's last 100 feet. That drop cable or twisted pair into the house is one of the biggest hurdles, I think, that's going to be tough to overcome as far as cost goes. So running remote buy or fiber, node plus zero amplifiers, almost getting rid of all the coax except for maybe the drop cable, that's going to be uh, something in our future for a long time, I think. Um, If it was a true greenfield, you probably would do fiber everywhere and be done with it but if it's uh you're going to a a almost i don't want to say a brown field but it's uh it's in between brown and green whatever that is hazel i don't know (laughs) 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 you're basically ripping out everything going fiber as deep as you can trying to get coax limited you now could go to 204 254 split maybe uh i'm afraid of higher upstream spectrum because of uh, loss in coax and temperature effects. But if it's less coax, not a big deal. If you do digital fiber with remote fly, you don't have laser clipping. So there's some uh, functionality there and, and, and feasibility of doing you know deep fiber, higher upstream splits, more speed, more upstream speed, more downstream speed. Uh, and I think that's where things are kind of going. All right. Good.
0: Good stuff. So yeah, you can stop sharing your screen there. It's it's been flickering the whole time, driving me nuts, man. So, but good stuff, uh, good information. If you send me the PowerPoint presentation, I'll I'll upload that uh, to the site along with the uh, link to the Hangout and also the podcast, the audio podcast will be shared later. And uh, otherwise, excellent material, John. Appreciate your time.
1: How do I do stop sharing it. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know how to stop sharing.
0: Yeah, you stop sharing it. So, all right. <laughs> Well, That's thanks fun. for everything. Thank
1: the longest hangout we ever had.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we, we killed a good hour and, and then some.
1: Yeah, so. I'll send you the slides so you can put it on your website.
0: All right. Thanks, Alrighty. sir. Have a great weekend and we'll chat soon. Take care.